0: Le'olam va'ed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, July 25th. In Revelation 1.8, Yeshua says of Himself, I am the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Did you know that if you read Genesis 1.1 in Hebrew, there is an Aleph Tav right smack dab in the middle of that verse. Truly Yeshua, the Aleph Tav, is there in the beginning and the end. So... If you were reading your Bible in Hebrew, whenever you come across Aleph Tav, this is a direct reference to Yeshua. The acronym for Daily Audio Torah is D-A-T. In Hebrew, that is dalit Aleph Tav. When you unpack that in the ancient Hebrew language, what it means is this, doorway to the Aleph Tav. The Daily Audio Torah is your doorway to the Aleph Tav, your doorway to Yeshua. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to DailyAudioTorah.com and then click on the Give Pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Bred Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, V'yat and it means, And I Pleaded. Deuteronomy 4:32 to 49 Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything been done like this great thing, or has anything been heard like it? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire, as you have heard it, and survived? Or... Has a God tried to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is no other besides him. Out of the heavens he let you hear his voice to discipline you, and on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words from the midst of the fire. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, and to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is today. Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you, and with your children after you and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities across the Jordan to the east, that a manslayer might flee there, who unintentionally slew his neighbor without having enmity toward him in time past, and by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites and Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. Now this is the law which Moses set before the sons of Israel. These are the testimonies and the statutes and the ordinances which Moses spoke to the sons of Israel when they came out from Egypt, across the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the sons of Israel defeated when they came out from Egypt. They took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who were across from Jordan to the east, from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, even as far as Mount Zion, that is, Hermon, with all the araba across the jordan to the east even as far as the sea of the araba at the foot of the slopes of pisgah 2nd chronicles 14:1 to 16:14 and when abijah died he was buried in the city of david Then his son Asa became the next king. There was peace in the land for ten years. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines, as well as the incense altars, from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. Asa told the people of Judah, Let us build towns and fortify them with walls, towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God and he has given us peace on every side. So they went ahead with these projects and brought them to completion. King Asa had an army of 300,000 warriors from the tribe of Judah armed with large shields and spears. He also had an army of 280,000 warriors from the tribe of Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. Both armies were composed of well-trained fighting men. Once an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. They advanced to the town of Mereshah, so Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of Marishah. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they were unable to rally. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army, and the army of Judah carried off a vast amount of plunder. While they were at Gerar, they attacked all the towns in that area, and terror from the Lord came upon the people there. As a result, a vast amount of plunder was taken from these towns, too. They also attacked the camps of herdsmen and captured many sheep, goats, and camels before finally returning to Jerusalem. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him out, they found Him. During those dark times it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled the people of every land. Nation fought against nation and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. But as for you, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. When Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage and removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them. For many from Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. The people gathered at Jerusalem in late spring, during the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. On that day they sacrificed to the Lord 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had taken in the battle. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and ram's horns sounding. All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all their heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. King Asa even deposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen mother because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although the pagan shrines were not removed from Israel, Asa's heart remained completely faithful throughout his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the various items that he and his father had dedicated. So, there was no more war until the thirty-fifth year of Asa's reign. In the thirty-sixth year of Asa's reign, King Basha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Asa responded, by removing the silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. He sent it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus along with this message. Let there be a treaty between you and me like the one between your father and my father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with King Basha of Israel so that he will leave me alone. Ben-Hadad agreed to King Asa's request and sent the commanders of his army to attack the towns of Israel. They conquered the towns of Ijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Makah, and all the store cities in Naphtali. As soon as Basha of Israel heard what was happening, he abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and stopped all work on it. Then King Asa called out all the men of Judah to carry away the building stones and timbers that Basha had been using to fortify Ramah. Asa used these materials to fortify the towns of Geba and Mizpah. At that time Hanani the seer came to King Asa and told him, Because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans and their vast army with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been! From now on, you will be at war. Asa became so angry with Hanani for saying this that he threw him into prison and put him in stocks. At that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. The rest of the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are recorded, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the forty-first year of his reign. He was buried in the tomb he had carved out for himself in the city of David. He was laid on a bed, perfumed with sweet spices and fragrant ointments, and the people built a huge funeral fire in his honor. Romans 9, 1-24 With Yeshua as my witness, I, Paul, speak with utter truthfulness, my conscience is and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed His glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them His law, His Torah. He gave them the privilege of worshiping Him and receiving His wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Yeshua Himself was an Israelite as far as His human nature is concerned. And He is God, THE ONE WHO RULES OVER EVERYTHING AND IS WORTHY OF ETERNAL PRAISE. AMEN. Well then, has God failed to fulfill His promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time in next year, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebecca, she gave birth to twins, but before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, Your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the Scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy we can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well, then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay To make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Psalm 19, 1-14 The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship, Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the will are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The law of the Lord is true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Proverbs 20:1. Wine produces mockers, alcohol leads to brawls, those led astray by drink cannot be wise. I want to speak to you today from our reading from Romans chapter 9. And we're getting into some really deep material here in this chapter. This chapter is really delving into the topic, the hot topic of Jewish-Christian relations. Paul shares his heart, his deep, deep heart for the Jewish people, himself being a Jew. In verse 2, he says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to forever be cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save them. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. Now, remember, Paul initially, in his journey, shared the gospel with the Jewish people. But many of them rejected it and tried to stone him and persecuted him. And so, in the end, he became the missionary to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. So here we see his heart for his own people. And I believe this is truly the heart of the God the Father. It is the heart of Yeshua. So then we go on and it says, it goes to say, this son was our ancestor Isaac, verse 10. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God that basically, Jacob I have loved, but I reject Esau. And that the younger would, be the leader the older would serve the younger so she had that prophecy from within the womb before they were ever born we get in here into the sovereignty of god versus the free will of man this is a very deep subject and it's one that's been debated for centuries the sovereignty of god versus the free will of man and it goes on to say so you see verse 18 God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Well, then, you might say, verse 19, this gets to the crux of the matter. Why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? In other words, if you take this position to the extreme, it's almost like we're robots and we've been programmed. And that when we're born, the program is already in place. And God already knows that we're going to accept Him or reject Him. We already have this program inside of us. And we're programmed so that for some, the destiny is going to be heaven. And for others, the destiny is going to be hell. And so how can you hold someone accountable if they've already been programmed to be a certain way? Like a robot or a puppet on a string. Yet. On the other side of the matter here, man does have free will. We have the free will to choose and to decide whether or not we're going to have chocolate or vanilla ice cream, whether we're going to wear blue socks today or red socks today, whether we're going to accept Christ or reject him. So how do you resolve these two points of tension? I just like to put out a theory to you. I can't take credit for it. I got this theory actually from a, a dear friend of mine, Eddie Chumney, but when he shared it with me, I thought, wow, that really makes sense. So here's the theory. This is not in the Bible, it's just a theory, but it makes sense. Suppose, hypothetically, that before you and I were ever born, we have a spirit. And that spirit resides in heaven. And then one day when conception occurs, the sperm is fertilizing the egg, God the Father places your spirit into that developing little embryo. And so the spirit now has a house. It has a body in which to inhabit. But before the spirit, your spirit or mine, ever gets... Placed into a human body, your spirit exists in heaven. And when you die, you either return to the place that you came from or you go to a bad place. So, a long, long time ago, there was a rebellion in heaven. And you can imagine a courtroom. And the rebellion was led by Lucifer. And he took a third of the angels with him. And he rebelled, he was prideful. He wanted to be above the Most High God. He was the chief worship leader in heaven, and he wanted to ascend to the Most High place, and he wanted to be equal to or above God the Almighty. He was jealous, and he was prideful. He led one-third of the angels in this rebellion, and this rebellion happened long ago. And so a third of the angels rebelled with him, and they followed him, and they became demons. So again, come back to the courtroom scene. All the spirits, your spirit and mine, we witnessed this rebellion, and we took a side. We took sides with either God or with Satan. And we chose. We chose which side we wanted to be on. We made a decision and a choice while we were still a spirit, watching and witnessing this rebellion of heaven. So if we chose a side way back then, before we were ever born, then when we get born and our spirit gets placed in a body, then we have all of our lifetime in our human form to validate and verify the decision that we made before we were ever born. And if we have repented of that bad decision and no longer want to follow the rebellious one, the deceiver, the evil one, but instead we want to follow Yeshua, then again, in our human form, we have an opportunity to repent and to choose the right side, the good side, God's side. And so our life lived in our body is the evidence that God will look at as he looks into the books at the end of our life when we're before the great white throne judgment. And the decision that we made before we were ever born is going to either our life and how we lived it and all of our decisions, our actions, and our behaviors. That's going to be the evidence by which he judges us. That he would say, yes, you chose right, and you lived right. You made a good decision to follow the Lord, and you your life bore fruit. And the evidence of your life shows me that your decision was followed through with action. Or, yeah, you, you chose the rebellious one, and your life gives me the evidence that you lived out that decision and that choice to follow the rebellious one, the arrogant one, the evil one or you made a bad decision way back then you chose the wrong side but but in your life you repented and you came to the other side and you follow and you followed through with good behavior and good actions and so we do all have free will and god is not going to violate that free will he allows us to choose but he kind of knows what we're going to choose so How can he say, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated? And he said, while they were still in the womb. Because somehow in God's foreknowledge, his omniscience, that he knows everything, he knew what Jacob was going to choose. Jacob loved the Lord and he loved his word. He loved the Torah and he knew that Esau hated God. Hated the word, despised the word of God, was siding with the rebellious one, the evil one. So, this is just something as food for thought, something to think about and reflect on. Uh, I present it to you as a theory, as a possibility. Now let's come back to Romans chapter 9, verse 21. When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And here's the punchline. Verse 24. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. So there is a a veil that has kept many Jews over the centuries blind to the truth of who Yeshua is, that he is the Messiah. But in the sovereignty of God and in the fullness of time, that is going to change. There will come a time when the veil will be lifted and many, many, many Jews will see and know and understand that Yeshua is the Messiah. The blindness was for God's purposes because the Jews initially did not receive him. Instead, the gospel went out to all the nations. And so the wild branches were grafted into the olive tree, that is, the Gentiles. But there's a day coming when the natural branches Will be regrafted back into the olive tree, and when that happens, that will be life from the dead. It will be amazing and incredible. So it was according to God's purposes that this happened. More on this when we get to Romans chapter eleven. May you choose, and decide, to follow. Yeshua, with all of your heart and may your actions and behavior line up and may that evidence be before the Father and may you be ushered into to heaven with great welcoming arms from the Father when it's your time. Blessings and shalom. Have a great day. Ye adonai vish mereka ya adonai Anavilaka Vikunneh ka. Isa adonai. Laav hil leka. Vayaseh leka. Leka. Shav-